All right. Welcome, everybody, back to another episode of Are You a Robot? Today, we are talking with Phil Booth. And I will warn you, this is a very UK-centric episode. However, I do feel that we should be talking about what is happening right now with the NHS and the data for sale, as we are calling this episode, what they're trying to do with the public health data. So for those that do not know, the NHS is the public health system in the UK. And we are talking today with Phil Booth about what exactly is going on and what is the NHS trying to pull here. Now, if you are new to the podcast, video cast, or if this is your first time listening to Are You a Robot? What we're trying to do here is create a place where we are answering some of the greatest questions and raising awareness around different current events that are happening within the AI and other technological spaces that stem from that. In case you enjoy the conversation here that we are having, please join us in Slack. We have a Slack community where there are like-minded individuals getting together and talking about some of these current event issues or the topics that are top of mind in the AI ethics and AI governance space. I want to plug our sponsor real fast before we jump into the full conversation. Ethics Grade is doing some incredible stuff around ESG ratings. In case you don't know what ESG ratings are, that is the non-financial impact that a company has on the world at large. So Ethics Grade is going around and they are giving scorecards to different companies on their AI ethics, their data governance, and a whole list of other factors. Check out what their scorecards say at ethicsgrade.io. You can go and compare some companies like Amazon versus Alibaba or Toyota versus Tesla and see what kind of scorecards they got. I'm sure there's going to be some scorecards that surprise you. So feel free to jump in and look at the link in the description or just go to ethicsgrade.io. Again, this is going to be one hell of an episode with what is happening right now in the UK when it comes to the NHS selling your data or allowing third parties to have access to your data. Let's talk with Phil more about what's going on. Are you a robot? Okay, Phil, it is great to have you on here. Normally, I start by asking people how they got into the world of data and AI. And for you, though, I think it's better if we just jump right into what the hell is going on with the NHS. Sure, sure. Well, um, it's really happening quite fast at the moment. Um, the body called NHS Digital uh, announced on just the 12th of May that it was going to be extracting the uh, GP histories of every patient registered with a GP practice in England. That's not Scotland, Wales or Northern Ireland, just England. Um, and that that information was going to be taken up centrally and made available uh, for by payment um, to third parties. Now, some of that, some of those third parties would be you know, uh, 
legitimate research organisations, universities or what have you, maybe NHS bodies. But as we've seen with people's hospital data for the last many years, uh, some of those th third parties are commercial, profit-seeking enterprises, uh, some of them even uh, what are called information intermediaries, so they're like sort of middlemen. They get the data and then they use that data to service further clients, which um, you know, NHS patients don't know about at all, really. So it's a huge program. Um, as I said, it's everyone's entire medical history. That's not everything that's in their GP record. Um, that is, uh, you know, it's the significant medical events that are recorded through your life, things like diagnoses, treatments, medications, all of those things about your health, your physical health, your mental health, your sexual health. Um, there are other things uh, in your, your GP record, things like the free text notes, which your doctor may write to themselves or to colleagues in the practice. And there may be things like scanned letters, and they're not taking those up, but they are taking this lifelong history. The urgency is because they put a deadline on opting out. Um, if people are not comfortable with what is proposed to be done with their data, they have really until the 23rd of June, so you know, about three weeks' time now, uh, to tell their GP to send a form or take a form to their GP and inform their GP that they don't want their data used for any purpose beyond their direct care. Yeah, that's um, Sometimes they're calling it planning and research, but it's obviously quite a bunch of other things as well. Um, so you know, people should be aware that this opting out that they do, if they do it, will not affect their, their, direct, their direct care, their own individual care, but it will, if they tell their GP practice, uh, in time, prevent their GP history being extracted uh, for these purposes from, uh, we believe, the 1st of July. So, you know, that's a slightly complicated uh, explanation. There is even more complication, and this thing has not been communicated particularly well, well, well at all, really. So there is also something called a national data opt-out, which you don't tell your GP, but you tell the NHS body that is extracting all this data, and uh, that's supposed to stop it from, you know, giving your data to um, these other third parties uh, for uh, for all these sort of other purposes. Uh, unfortunately, the official logs, the official registers of the releases that are being done uh, by this body through the same process they'll be using for your GP data show that that opt-out, this national data opt-out, is only respected about 20% of the time. So there are so many loopholes and exemptions that you know it's not by itself really going to prevent what most people would find, I think, you know, the most uh, worrying, worrying or worrisome uses of their data. Um, and that's really what's going on. The program itself is called um, GP Data for Planning and Research, which is a bit of a mouthful, but it's got an acronym like everything's always do, and that's GPDPR. Well, those people who know their, their data protection uh, law will realize that that's quite close to GDPR, uh, and there's actually even another collection which has been going on for about a year now of pandemic uh, planning and research data, 
and that's called GDPPR. So someone at you know the Department of Health clearly has either a, a, a rather twisted sense of humour uh, or has not seen the possibility that these programmes might get confused with you know, the very data protections that are supposed to prevent this sort of stuff from happening. So I'm in Germany, and I haven't heard about this. Obviously, it's not really concerning or affecting me. But as I understand, people in the UK haven't heard about this either. Why do you think that there is not much uh, advertising or talk about this? Well, I, I would say it's, it's quite obvious, really. This program, although it's being done by an NHS body, is being uh, directed, um, ordered by the Secretary of State, yeah? by the government. Yeah? That's uh, our Secretary of State for Health and Social Care is a, a chap called Matt Hancock, and he has uh, ordered this body, NHS Digital, to you know, collect all of this data and make it available for all of these purposes. So it's essentially being driven by the government. Um, it's being rushed out um, because clearly um, they don't want people to know, or certainly know in time, so that they can get as much data as they possibly can. Because if you don't opt out before the 1st of July, the very first time that data is extracted from your GP practice, they will take the entire GP history. As I said, that's the lifelong series of medical events. Um, and thereafter, they'll take daily updates. So NHS Digital claims that it's been working on this program or developing it and stuff for about three years. And if that is the case, why, in the middle of a pandemic, while GPs are incredibly busy um, you know, in offering and, and providing vaccinations, for example, as well as all the other stuff they're doing in the pandemic. So why are GPs and patients only being given six weeks' notice? Which, by the way, at the point we're talking at, that's now down to three weeks. And I strongly suspect millions, if not tens of millions of people, still haven't heard about this. Um, so you know, it's clear that there are positive uses that could be made of this data, uh, legitimate ethical research and, and, and planning purposes for the NHS. Mm -hmm. But it's the stuff that they are not talking about, those, you know, that commercial reuse and the sorts of companies and things that are getting the data, demonstrably getting the data, and some of those which are, again, looking at the, uh, the audits of these customers of NHS Digital. Some of them are breaking their contract. You know, bre breaching the terms and conditions. Some of them are even breaking the law, but they're still receiving data. This is a broken process that needs fixing to a point that it can be trusted uh, by everyone. And then maybe people can say, okay, well, I'm, uh, I'm comfortable now and uh, I'll opt in or opt back in. But right now, you know, if you don't opt out, that's your entire GP history gone. And once it's been extracted, it will never be deleted. So you know, there's really quite a, an urgency, and it's very difficult to understand why they would put such a tight deadline on it. Um, and of course, in going about and things... There's, well, there's some other things that are interesting to me about 
this because if I read it correctly, normally with health data, you have the PII and that's very sensitive information. And mm-hmm. I know with machine learning and any time that someone is touching that data, it is like you have to be very, very careful with that. Mm-hmm. And you want to make sure that you never are able to let that PII or that personal identifiable information get mm-hmm. out. And from what I understand is that with this, they're not going to make all of this data anonymous. It's going to have your name tied to it. Is that correct? Not your name, no. And they keep on claiming that. And it's a bit of a straw man. Yeah, I, I think it's trying to appeal to the layman's understanding of yeah, anonymous. You know, if it hasn't got my name, well, that's okay then. Every single medical event that is recorded across the NHS is recorded in the form of what's called a code. There is a data dictionary and there are codes for every single thing, like you know, broken leg, uh, diabetes, what have you. Yeah, And... That medical history, that GP history that I talked about, is comprised of every code that has been recorded about you. And every single dated code that is extracted will be linked to your NHS number, your full postcode, and your date of birth. Those three items will be temporarily obscured with a what's called a pseudonym yeah, using pseudonymization software. So that um, you know, when you look, if you look, were to look at the data directly at that point, uh, you wouldn't see the person's NHS number, for example. But that software is basically provided by NHS Digital, and when the data lands at NHS Digital, it has the keys to be able to unobscure that data and see it in the clear. Now. NHS Digital freely admits that in its its technical documentation, the stuff that it sends to GPs who, as data controllers, have to know this stuff, but it doesn't really make that clear to you know members of the public on, on its web pages. It sort of uses some words like that, like de-identified, and it does mention pseudonymization, but the way it tries to sort of explain it is to give the impression that, as you say, that this data is anonymous. Now, In practice, you just have to think about it for a minute to realize that this data cannot be anonymous because when NHS Digital pulls up your GP history, your GP data, it has the capability of linking it to your NHS hospital data. And if they could not identify your individual line in the data, then clearly they wouldn't be able to perform that linkage for the sorts of purposes they're talking about. Yeah? So it is inherently and legally um, personal data. Yeah? The GDPR says that pseudonymized data is personal data. Yeah? Further to it, and as you rightly point out, it's a particular type of personal data, now called special category personal data. Yeah? That used to be under the old... Data Protection Act, it used to be called sensitive personal data. But because it's about your health, you know, your physical health, uh, your mental health, sexual health, all sorts of other sort of conditions um, about you medically, 
um, you know, that has to be treated with extreme care. And that's why we say, Med Confidential says, um, that this should in fact be going into what's known as a five safes um, trusted research environment or safe setting. That's a, a highly secure lockdown facility where every person and every project that comes to the data uh, has to be specifically approved, accredited, properly trained and everything, that the data is held in this safe setting only, you know, send out copies of the data, and that the data, when it is in there, as again, you rightly say, you've got to keep this stuff as, 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 as safe as you can, that it's actually pseudonymized inside the safe setting. Um, plus, and the most important thing, the fifth safe is about safe outputs. So anything that gets taken out, once you've done the processing, the research, the analysis, generated insights, possibly even trained up a model or something, then you, know, you would have that checked to ensure that it is statistically non-disclosive, yeah? that it is actually anonymous. You can't identify individuals in what you're about to take away, and only then would you be able to take stuff away. Now, you know, if this sounds a little bit sort of extreme to people, um, I should point out that it's exactly the process that is used in Britain, at least, and I believe other countries, um, for uh, the bodies that do national statistics. So in the UK, the Office for National Statistics has had a safe setting for the raw census data and for the business microdata that it uses to generate national statistics, and it's had that for 10, 15 years. And... You know, new bodies uh, like Genomics England, for example, um, which which uh, you know has is collecting large amounts of um, genomic or DNA data. Uh, that also has a safe setting, as does NHS Digital, but unfortunately, it's not being used. And there's no point having this safe setting. This you know really secure facility with all of these rules and protocols uh, and everything around it, if you also are handing out copies of the data. And that, unfortunately, is what is the case. And we know this because, you know, this has been uh, one of the sort of things they've said they would do. Um, uh, during COVID, the, there's been a GP uh, data extraction, I think I may have mentioned, for pandemic planning and research. Uh, and that is done under the extraordinary uh, powers that the government has during a public health crisis. Uh, and it was said that they would put all of that data into the safe setting, the trusted research environment, uh, and the access to that data by default would be through the safe setting. Well, we again look at the official logs since that data has been gathered, and it basically shows that 90% of the time they were just sending out copies of the data. Yeah. So I, I, I repeat, it's like, you know, there is a safe setting. This is something that could be done. It's not you know, a fantasy. It's not extreme at all. It's, it's a, a sensible, readily available thing to be done. It's just not being done. And it's that, again, which raises questions about, well, why? Why is the Secretary of State, you know, to, you know, directing that there be a process which essentially allows copies of the data to be sent out? And you do have to ask, given the track record of our government during the pandemic, 
whether you know that means you know they're setting up for VIP VIP lanes to people's data in the same way that they did for you know contracts for for PPE equipment and 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 various other things during the pandemic. Data is incredibly valuable. Health data even more so, and quite likely, you know the the entirety of the data held by the NHS is possibly one of the most valuable data assets on the planet. You know, everyone wants that sort of level of data. We're talking about you know, mm. 50, 60 million people's lifelong medical records. You know, the sort of data that Google or you know, Amazon or anyone sort of you know, training up AIs or what have you would be desperate to get a hold of. And, you know, why aren't we putting the strongest protections around that in order to ensure public trust and to ensure that anyone who's not comfortable with their data being used in that way can you know, completely lawfully, as is their right, you know, make sure their data is not in the data set. So there's something interesting, and if I'm understanding you correctly, it's not that you're advocating for not having this data be shareable or not having this data go out. It's that you're asking, A, there's more information around it when it when something like this is happening. People are aware that it is happening and then giving them an easy solution to opt out and giving them a way to say, no, I prefer Google or Amazon or whoever it is. It may be my insurance company or it may just be these data brokers to not have my data. And mm. if I change my mind, I can opt back in later on down the line once I see how it all works. Uh, is that correct in my assessment of your your advocating for that, not the downright abolishment of this data sharing? Mm-hmm. It's that the way they're going about it is not correct. Yeah, that's that's absolutely correct. So as I said, we campaign to ensure that every use of patients' data is consensual, safe, and transparent. As, as hope, I'm hopefully getting across, you know, those words actually mean something. Yeah, Consensual is that, obviously, you are aware of what is going on and you have meaningful choices about that and that those choices are respected. Safe is to treat the data when it's been collected in the safest way possible, not just claim security and what have you, but it's actually in a really, really contained environment where only legitimate users, approved and accredited people come and are able to do all the valuable research, because we're big proponents of legitimate ethical research. But those people can come and you can generate the statistics that you need to run the health service in this safe setting as well. Many of the users of the data will be um, bodies within the NHS um, that they don't need your individual records in order to be able to run their systems. They need aggregate data statistics. So we could do that in the safe setting as well. But the most important bit is that people do know that every patient can know how their data is used. And on that, we've proposed for quite a number of years now, since the last attempt to do this in 2014, actually, 
um, we propose something not dissimilar to your mobile phone statement or your bank statement. Um, and because they're using pseudonyms uh, on all this data, clearly they are able to tell whose data has gone where, um, that you would be able to find out who has had access to your data and for what purposes. And that wouldn't necessarily be anything sinister. And in fact, it could help encourage people to you know, engage with the research process. If they could see that their and their family's data had been used in a study that contributed to a new treatment or something like that, we genuinely think that that sort of transparency would help, you know, maintain and build public trust. But they're doing exactly the opposite. They're not telling people. They're rushing stuff out in the middle of a, of a, of a pandemic. And they made it as confusing and as, and as difficult, frankly, as possible to, you know, to work out what you have to do in order to pr protect your data. And, you know, the only way that, you know, the regular folk can see what's being done with their data unless they can read you know, monthly thousand line spreadsheets is to go to our website they sold it anyway.com where we turn those spreadsheets into you know, more human readable things that pull out the information that we think people would be you know, interested in like you know, which organizations have respected mm. their opt-outs and which organizations have breached their you know, terms and contract, which organizations have broken the law. You know, those are the sorts of, you know, things which obviously people need to know about if they're making a decision about what's being done with their data. You can't just say, well, oh, we're going to do a bunch of good, so, well, let us do whatever we want um, the rest of the time. That that's, mm -hmm. that's really not very trustworthy at all, you know. So consensual, safe, transparent. Those three things, if you like, you know, join together in a loop, yeah, because once you find out what's going on, obviously you may change your decision, opt out or opt in. Yeah? But all the while it being you know, handled in a safe way is the absolute minimum level of respect that patients' data should be given in a national health service. So... I understand the argument for letting someone opt in or opt out. And I also see your point on this idea of you can't just take data and then say, we're going to do a bunch of good with it. So let us have whatever data we want. I do also see the other side of the argument that is, and I wonder sometimes, this is a, a question that I often ask guests or I grapple with myself, and that is, should we not be obliged to share our health data if it is going to help cure cancer or if it is going to help solve some of these medical issues that we've had around for such a long time? And by everyone letting their data be used, it will give us a better understanding and a better idea and potentially a cure for some of this. So can you explain why you don't think that way and what your rationale is around that? Sure. Well, I mean, you know, if is doing a lot of work in that sentence and no one is saying that research shouldn't happen and research has happened um, while respecting people's rights. Yeah? If you're researching on human beings, 
Yeah, if you're experimenting on human beings, yeah, there is something called the Helsinki Convention that requires consent, explicit prior consent. Yeah, because we're in the realm of data, people think, well, that's a bit more abstract. But again, we have laws around that and rights around that, personal rights, and so yeah, it's not like you know, for someone to be sort of bullied into this or for there to be some blanket mandate. It is your information, your life. And you get to choose. Yeah, I think it's reasonable that that be an opt-out rather than an opt-in sort of thing, because obviously there are practical difficulties, and we see these all the time, by the way, in in the delivery of health, because you can't always get consent for what you're going to do. I and mean, if a person turns up unconscious in accident emergency, you, you treat them. You know, and if you turn up and you say, I need help, doctor. You're not then also signing a consent form to get that help, yeah? But for these secondary purposes, these planning, research, policymaking, public health, this, that, and the other, um, you know, it is not the case that you know, any or all of those require everyone's data, you know, 100% of the data, because you know, for many things, um, you know, the vast majority of people's data would be utterly irrelevant, um, but also, you know, this is the process of research. And if we're going to talk about ethical research and medical ethics, let's take a real look at this, because I think some of these arguments basically are coming from a place which is more informed by the sort of, you know, the tech notion than the medical or research notions of ethics. Medical ethics goes back about 3,000 years. Yeah? You've probably heard of the, the Hippocratic Oath. Yeah? And the first bit of that is literally, first, do no harm. Okay? Now, what is happening with this particular GP data grab at this moment is that it is harming public trust and individual trust. And that is an incredible danger in a health context. Because if a patient cannot trust that what they tell to their doctor will be kept in confidence, then they may not reveal things to their doctor that could lead to them coming to harm. And as we've seen in the pandemic, not revealing stuff to their doctor, which might possibly you know, affect the wider public health. Yeah? So it's absolutely understood in medicine yeah, that first do no harm and Doctor-patient confidentiality is the, the absolute heart of the system. There may be a lot of rich data there, but you can't just take it by default. The other thing is, um, you know, and it comes in with things like uh, research ethics as well, is that part of why people can trust these things, part of why they are ethics, is that they arise within a community where breaking or breaching the ethics has significant consequences. Yeah? So, for example, anyone who can practice medicine in the UK has to be a registered medical professional. And were they to breach medical ethics, which is an actual yeah, set of written down rules, then they would be struck off the register and they could no longer practice medicine. Similarly, in academia, you know, there are research ethics, and if you did something that was unethical, your your research would be basically, you know, couldn't be published, it would be 
it'd be junk. Yeah. Now, in tech and around data, we haven't yet got those sorts of professional communities that police themselves with rules and ethics that actually have meaningful consequences for those people who are, you know, stepping over the line. And we see this time and time and time and time again. Yeah. So, yeah. No, I, I, I don't accept that it is a, a requirement, a, a, a mandate, that you have to surrender your data for purposes other than your care. Yeah? Especially, and this is okay in the UK, but yeah, we pay through our taxes for the National Health Service. And it's not free. It may be free or mostly free at the point of delivery, but we pay our taxes and that is our healthcare system. Yeah, I don't believe we should be forced by virtue of using what we have paid for to pay again with our data. So I'm wondering about when or if the NHS starts incentivizing this or anyone's for that matter when it comes to your data and the ethics around like if you opt in you get perks or you get something special and how that plays out well that's not something that the nhs would do because it, it provides um an equitable service to everyone yeah you, you know it is you, you don't you can't get anything more by paying or you can go and have private medicine but you know you get everyone gets access to nhs healthcare now you know, there's different arrangements in different countries around the world, and that's, that's fine. And, of course, there are many uh, companies that are trying to offer people incentives to hand over their, uh, their medical data, um, you know, the, the, the sort of, um, you know, the Fitbit monitoring type devices and increasingly um, people offering things like, you know, DNA tests, home DNA tests for, for various things. Um, you know, I think people, you know, of course, it's everyone's choice, um, but you, know, you should look at what it is that you are giving away in re return for, for those probably quite minimal perks. You know, were you to, for example, hand over uh, rights to a copy of your genome to a private business, as, as many, I think, you know, millions have done to, say, uh, 23andMe, turns out that 23andMe goes and cuts you know, multi-hundred million dollar deals with pharmaceutical companies, which you, know, you get no return on, you know? And actually, the sort of information that you get back from these companies, certainly in the health side of things, is really not much more relevant than general medical advice, you know? Um, so, you know, when you say incentivize, I think the incentives should be the public interest, yeah? The, you should do it in such a way that people are encouraged to not opt out or to opt back in by seeing that there is actual value and that the things that they don't like or don't want are not happening. That is a more you know, shared, collaborative, you know, national endeavour than you know, trying to pick people off maybe through fear marketing. Oh, you know, you need to do this because, um, you know, you've got this sort of condition or, or what have you. Um, you know, that, I think, is itself unethical. Um, you know, trying to 
you know, make people do something which may not, may not, because I said, if does a lot of work in the sentence, if you could cure cancer, um, you know, may not have any significant effect for them in terms of the positives, but could, you know, not just, you know, undermine their trust in uh, you know, what's being done with their data, but could, were there to be, and hopefully not, but were there to be a, a major um, breach of, of, of an amount of this sort of information, that could expose them to all sorts of risks. Yeah? Once one copy of this population scale, individual level, linked together medical histories, would be breached once that got onto the black market. Mm. They've got all the time in the world, all of the scraped data in the world, all the techniques that have been you know, shown to work to re-identify not just each person by their you know, line, because your own you know, medical history is a unique fingerprint, but to associate it with other data so they may get your name, your address, your telephone number, your email. Um, and you know, then essentially your entire medical history has been exposed. Now, we've got to hope that that never happens, but the only way to ensure that it never happens is to only have that one copy of the data and have it in the safe setting and not to be sending stuff out or allowing others to sort of, you know, just encourage trickles of information uh, to them for their purposes, but say, no, no, this has to be done properly. So right now, is there, can you go through the pros and cons of opting in to what the NHS is proposing? Well, there is no opt-in. The only mechanism that is being offered right now is opt-out. There is an opt-out that you do to your GP, and that opt-out uh, says to your GP, do not let, do not share my uh, GP data, my medical data, outside of the practice for any purpose other than my direct care. That will, you know, on the upside, if you like, you know, stop your entire GP history being extracted from the 1st of July. Uh, and you may see this as a, as a disbenefit. Of course, if your data is not extracted, then for those purposes that you might wish to have uh, participated in or allowed your data to be used for, you know, that won't happen. But you know, the government hasn't given you that choice to say, look, I don't like you know, all this commercial use, but I'm perfectly happy for legitimate, ethical, you know, medical research to be done. They're not giving that choice. Yeah? So it's on the government there, which is lumping together the bad and the good. The other choice that you can make, the 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 uh, what's called the national data opt-out, telling NHS Digital not to sell on your data. Um, as I say, you can do that um, uh, online for yourself. You can, you can send them a form if you've got kids. And by the way, you know this is all people's whole families. It's not just adult individuals. It's it's getting every man, woman, and child in England's GP data. Uh, and similarly, that one should should stop NHS Digital from sharing your data for purposes other than your direct care. Downside is 
you know, similar if you know, you're you know, happy, content with the sorts of things which NHS Digital is doing that are good, then you know that opt-out may stop some of them. But again, the upside or, if, or the, the reality is that the national data opt-out is only respected about 20% of the time anyway. It's a bit of a, it's a, bit of a sort of um, uh, a fudge. There are so many exceptions that it doesn't really do what it says. Mm. And then that leads to another big downside, which is you know, that's untrustworthy. It, you know, people won't feel it's particularly honest if they've been offered an opt-out saying it'll do something, and it turns out that 80% of the time their data went anyway. So I, mean, I don't know if that's quite answered your question. I would probably say in, in overview, Med Confidential has always said it is far preferable that there is a well-communicated, effective opt-out mechanism than a bad, poor opt-in mechanism. Yeah, some people just sort of say, "Well, you know, everything should be you know opt-in only," and we appreciate that that would actually be quite difficult. You know, um, but if you were to literally write to every patient write a letter explaining what is intended to be done with the patient's data and providing them with the uh, form or forms that they need to exercise their legal rights and their choices, um, then you know, that would show that you've made the effort at least to you know, make this consensual. Anything short of that, and at the moment all they're doing is putting out a few tweets and some pages on their website, um, anything less than that just isn't you know, properly informing people and it's not you know, properly giving people a chance to make the choices that are theirs to make. So it feels like GDPR should have some kind of role in this and is this not illegal in a way? So the legal position is, is quite interesting. Uh, GDPR is obviously data protection law. And in the UK, there is also there are a whole bunch of other laws. And specifically, there are laws around health and health data. So while um, GDPR you know, provides a really strong set of rules around what must be done with not just personal data, but special category data, which, which health data is, yeah, there are bases, legal bases, on which things can be done. Yeah? Uh, in specific terms of this, there, you know, if you're processing special category data, you need an Article 6 basis and you need an Article 9 basis, and these are laid out in the law. Yeah? Um, GDPR also requires, it's got principles, things like you know, that everything to be lawful, everything has to be fair and transparent. That's the first principle. And it's on that which this program clearly falls down. Now, we've engaged with the Information Commissioner in, uh, in the UK on this program, and you know, they are doing an investigation right now. Um, we've also engaged with um, the National Data Guardian. So that's the um, office that is essentially a bit like an ICO. It's a statutory office, but it is, its competence is on uh, matters to do with health data, information governance and confidentiality uh, and everything else. So 
the government awarded itself in 2012 uh, so this the extraordinary little loophole buried in something called the Health and Social Care Act, which allows precisely what Matt Hancock has done, which is that the Secretary of State can direct this body, NHS Digital, to uh, collect data and the power to that body, NHS Digital, if it has been directed by the Secretary of State, to be able to require the care provider, in this case GPs, to surrender that data. Yeah. So if you like, that's a legal pathway. But of course, you know, that instruction or order or requirement has to itself be lawful. And that's where the GDPR kicks in, because in terms of the collection, they have not you know, informed people enough. It's not fair, nor is it transparent. In terms of the dissemination, what they are doing to us appears to breach um, GDPR in a number of ways, yeah, because they are sending out what is personal data. They've been pretending for years that pseudonymized data is not personal data, that it's anonymized and therefore outside the data protection law. Well, you know, that's just plain wrong. And the information commissioner has made that absolutely clear. So, you know, even if they were to get all of this data, they would still be facing, you know, legal as well as ethical challenge and, and barriers to doing what they propose to do with it, because, you know, they simply haven't caught up to the GDPR world. So hopefully, you know, that gives you a flavour of that there's, there's, if you like, there's not competing laws, but there are laws which interact with each other in quite subtle ways. But GDPR does not prevent research. It doesn't prevent, you know, the use and creation of statistics for planning and running, ser public services and things like that. It would be crazy if it did, yeah? Um, there are aspects of it mm. that give patients, individuals, rights and it's those rights which we think we, we think which we say must be respected so you mentioned earlier talking about how effectively doing this is really putting the nhs putting the nhs on the line for harming the trust that it has with the public and your the trust that i have as a citizen with my doctor can you dive into that a little bit more and talk to us? What does this mean if this goes through for the NHS and and society? Right. So, I mean, for this, we can actually go back to, uh, I'm not just talking theoretically, if you like, we can go back to uh, the previous attempt to do this under a program called Care.Data in 2014, which we also um, you know, made the public aware of and which was first paused and then uh, finally scrapped without having extracted any data. But what that did and what that showed was that people were shocked to find out the uses to which their data was being put. Yeah? Back in 2014 and, and now, the majority of the data which this body NHS Digital has and which it disseminates is your hospital data. Yeah, it's hospital data is is obviously still medical data, but it's relatively sparse. You know, you're not in and out of hospital all the time. You may have you know an accident or you know, a serious illness or something, but you know it's not like a, a whole medical record. 
uh, a whole medical history. Um, you know, GP data, the stuff that you share with your family doctor, potentially over a lifetime, um, you know, is very much more sensitive. And some of the things that they are extracting because they're going for this GP data are quite extraordinary. Things around sexually transmitted infections, things around AIDS, HIV, things around domestic violence and abuse. You know, these are things which people do share with their doctor because they have to, to get the care that they need. And it is these sorts of things which people do feel you know, particularly sensitive about. You know, obviously things like mental health can be something that you feel very strongly about because unfortunately they, you know, there are taboos and there are you know, things which people you know, feel embarrassed about, you know? So you know, if this data is taken without notice, think about you know, in a month or so's time, say they start extracting data on the 1st of July as they intend to do, and you haven't been told, and you have things in your GP record that you consider to be really sensitive, really sensitive, yeah, and wouldn't want shared with anyone. In fact, things that you found it difficult to tell maybe members of your own family or even your doctor in the first place, and you find out that that's gone up to this body that's going to be disseminating it and which you know, will never be deleted. Yeah? How are you going to feel about that? How are you going to be feel about the GP that while they had no choice because they were you know, lawfully required to do something, yeah, how are you going to feel about the GP that allowed that to happen from your perspective? Yeah? That's what I mean. You know, this really could be corrosive of trust. And back in 2014, when this previous program, Care.Data, was being done, we got calls all the time during that particular sort of um, fight um, from people who you know, had heard something in the media about, oh, you know, Care.Data was going to be prospective. It was going to be only from the point that they started the program. But then one of the officials talked about, oh, yes, but we quite like to go back and get maybe 20 years worth of people's medical histories. And we got calls from people being you know, referred to us from places like um, rape crisis centers and stuff like that who were, you know, were really concerned about this and not willing to go to their doctor because they thought it was already happening. Now, we could reassure, reassure them, but they were really, really worried. You know? So you cannot tell. You cannot tell what is going to be in anyone's medical record. You can't even tell what's going to be in your medical record in five years' time. Yeah, you don't know. Um, but it is something that people you know, do have concerns about. Not everyone. Some people are quite happy to share even their whole genome you know, with private companies, and that's fine. That's their choice, and if they want to do it, that's fine. Um, but it shouldn't be you know, a requirement, a demand, mandated, shouldn't be a surprise to people yeah, that this has happened. And the last thing that we want here is to see, you know, not just like in, in, in 2014, where maybe about a couple of million people opted out, um, 
And you know, there was inquiries, there was parliamentary hearings, there was all sorts of things. Um, you know, what we don't want to see is um, you know, this you know, just roll on and on and on without you know, it being you know, stopped now, paused now, halted now, and fixed. Because otherwise, you know, it could take years to recover the sort of trust you know, that they're going to need to be doing as I say, all these potentially good things that you could do with the data. If this stuff is so valuable, you know, people have said, oh, the NHS data is worth 10 billion a year. Well, if it's so valuable and so useful, then why not do it properly? Yeah, it feels like it's a Pandora's box. As soon as you open it or you let the data out, it's very hard to get it back into its place. And so I see that logic mm-hmm. and I am wondering about this situation that you're speaking about the someone who potentially is surprised when they find out that their medical records have been shared and they have something that they wouldn't want anyone else to know about how do you see that being used I guess there is many ways that it could be used but some of these nefarious ways, what are you thinking is possible? With well, I mean, it's, like, it's not so much the nefarious. I mean, once you get into an actual you know, release of the data into the black market, then anything is possible. And that would be genuinely terrifying. Uh, if it was population scale, you know, millions, tens of millions of people's medical histories could be um, identified, linked to them, and then all sorts of things could happen. But you know, that's not, uh, like I was saying, you know, the most likely, or um, you know, the, 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 you know, frankly, the, the, the risk that is um, obviously that's concerning. But because you know we've got population scale data being collected, we say put it in the safe setting. Don't send it out. You can mitigate that risk entirely. Yeah? The concern is more with the fact that significant fractions of the population um, you know, are quite happy for their data to be used for medical research. Yeah? This, is, this is from research and studies and polling going back a decade, two decades maybe. And it shows that as long as people feel their permission has been sought, the majority are happy for these purposes, these research purposes. And the one thing that also influences them quite strongly is if there are commercial interests involved, yeah, they are not so happy for their data to be used in these ways, even if it were to harm you know, medical research. Yeah? Um, that's the scenario that we don't want. The government rushing something through in this way, in a pandemic, yeah, damaging research, yeah, causing trust problems with and within you know, the NHS and between patients and doctors, and essentially making useless yeah, what data it has because it hasn't been done lawfully or ethically. Yeah? If you collected all this data yeah, and it turns out you broke the law in doing it, you can't use it. Yeah, no one ethical will touch it. Yeah, so it will have turned out to be a 
useless venture anyway, and you will have harmed research and you will have harmed public trust. Yeah. So I would say, you know, the problem is not, and I don't think anyone should feel like um, you know, they personally are going to be targeted by someone who's looking to, you know, to, to, to harm them. Yeah. Um, it's more that in aggregate, because we're talking about population scale data, that we have to keep this all ethical, consensual, safe and transparent, as I, as I keep saying, and, you know, shut down those uses which are currently and would continue to pollute the good stuff that could be done. Well, Phil, I have one last question for you. This has been a brilliant conversation and I appreciate you advocating for this and fighting for this awareness, getting this out and making sure that people are educated. And so my last question for you is, are you a robot? <laughs> no, I am an information system, however. Um, I think more and more, we're coming to realize in, in, in the world that we live that everything in one way or another is you know, an information system connected to other information systems. Um, I'm a human being. And by virtue of that, I have human rights. And what I do is to advocate for other people's human rights. Uh, I believe you have them by virtue of being a human being. Um, I'm not sure that things that we create, AIs, robots, or anything else, are anything other than machines still. Um, it would be interesting to contemplate a future where one you know, did have properties that were more genuinely human-like. But no, I am a human being, uh, and uh, I like relating to other human beings. Excellent. That is a perfect way of finishing it up. And I thank you for coming on here. Have a great day. Cheers, Demetrius.